Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of the radio show, the resource website and blog, and I'm all about shifting your dementia care culture. And here on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we invite you to join us. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease not as it. And so we'd love you all to partner with us to empower people who have dementia as well as their caregivers, giving them purpose and allowing them a place in society because so many are stuck with this stigma and the isolation that goes along with the disease. Our channel expert, who actually has early onset Alzheimer's disease, Rick Phelps, um, I don't think he's going to be able to make the show today, but if he is, I will always pull Rick in. Um, Rick is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, and he just has an absolutely wonderful social support group there where people all around the world join forces and um, have a natural conversation about this disease. People with early memory loss, their family and friends, their advocates, and business professionals. And it's really a nice, safe place to have a conversation. It's a closed group, so um, content is not shared with the rest of the world on Facebook. It is contained right within the group. So if you haven't checked that out, I would highly encourage you to do so. Um, Normally, you'd be able to call in or chat But this session is actually pre-recorded. We had some difficulties with our show on August 30th. So I'm just kind of doing uh, an edit portion here. Um, So I'm going to give you a a little um, heads up. The first few minutes of the show we lost, and so I'll fill you in on what happened there. But first, let me introduce Holly Schmidt. Holly is a caregiver, and she's also the owner of Best Alzheimer's Products. And her journey of caring for a family friend by the name of Bernice um, led her to find activities that she would like um, to be involved with. And by doing this, she created a business. And it has uh, her website is absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best ones out there, um, I feel, in terms of giving people alternatives and um, giving them ideas in how to engage somebody with dementia at all different stages. Again, 
the website is called Best Alzheimer's Products, and it's it's got just hundreds of products and games and books and DVDs and music. Now, what we're, what we missed um, due to our editing issue here was um, she was Holly was telling us about Bernice and being able to get her to engage in different activities, um, things that she'd like to do but just had to be done differently. And I had kind of chimed in that when my mother um, was in her early stages, one of the things she really liked to do was color with my daughter. Now, handing coloring crayons in a packet you know, to a 60-year-old woman may seem inappropriate, but again, we have to take in mind where that person is at. And she wasn't doing it alone. She was coloring with her granddaughter. And it was almost like an enchanted moment. It was it was really quite special. So I'm going to go ahead and um, play the rest of it, and we'll, we will get this uh, up and running. But it's a very interesting conversation, and I know you're going to learn lots of new things. The second half of the show, um, we will also be talking with uh, a couple of gals from Lynn Bloomston. So stay tuned, and I know you'll get lots out of today's show. Absolutely. And we have to remember that the person with dementia loses that ability to plan. Mm-hmm. They can't They can't say, oh, gee, I think I want to do this today. So it's up to us as caregivers to provide things that we know they'll enjoy mm-hmm. and make the suggestions and, and not not mandate them, but make the suggestion. You know, you don't want to present a puzzle and say, Today we're going to do this. Doesn't this look like fun? You know, we, you're likely to get a boisterous no <laughs> if you present it that way. So we just we have to look for appropriate activities, things that are going to have a positive effect. And let's face it, if the person we're taking care of is happier, it's going to make our life as caregivers much easier. You know, so we that, have to meet them where they are. That is one of the biggest misunderstood concept, I think, in caregiving Um, in terms of, you know, if it's kind of like if mom is happy, the whole family is happy, and Mm -hmm. it's very much the same, I mean, in any relationship when it comes down to it, but for some reason, I think we tend to forget that as a society, and making a small adjustment to create that joy um, will alleviate stress on everybody's part and just make life so much easier and more pleasurable. And I think that that's just an extremely important thing um, to keep in mind there. Can you talk about... Really, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, go I was going to say we really started this as a way to share with other people what we had found because it was so difficult to find things that she could do. And I, I said to my husband one day, you know, if you were taking care of your loved one at home or even if you were an activity director at a care community, you wouldn't have time to look for all these things. We should just make a little website and share what we what we have been doing and what we found. And as it turned out, in 2008, when the economy tanked, and my husband had been in the building business, uh, this was the perfect opportunity for him to spend some time developing this website. And years ago, he had taken 
some website classes where he learned how to do coding and at, and this was years ago, Lori, and at the time as a wife I'm thinking, why is he taking this class? <laughs> mm-hmm. But as it turned out, now he's written the whole website and done all the coding himself and, and done all the research and and he's really developed all this. My my part of the business is the fun part of finding all the things uh, that are going to make people happy and help caregivers' lives easier, make it easier for them. So we're kind of we're a good team here. Okay, can you um, talk a little bit about um, and go into maybe a little bit more depth, depth about the importance of activities and, and kind of what you see the role and maybe give us. Um, some other examples as well, um, you know, how it has changed, um, maybe yourself and the person that you're interacting with, Bernice? Well, you know, we think that activity is really important because the absence of activity is so detrimental. Uh-huh. Everybody wants something to do. Even if you went to the doctor's office when you're sitting in the waiting room, you want to look at a magazine. You don't want to just sit there and stare at the wall. And there's nothing more upsetting than walking into some facilities and seeing people just sitting, sitting with nothing. I mean, give them a ball to squeeze, anything. You know, just something to have, a magazine to look at, uh, a picture book, something so that they're not just sitting and staring because then your mind just goes blank. So we have to find appropriate activities that can have a positive effect and the behavioral symptoms associated with Alzheimer's disease will be so much improved. Mm -hmm. We have a very liberal definition of activity. Activity to us is anything that keeps a person interested, busy, in any way engaged, whether it's physically or cognitively. Anything can be an activity. It doesn't have to be uh, something that you're manipulating. It could be just sitting and chatting. Uh, and doing some reminiscing uh, because we don't we think of uh, people should talk about yesteryear not yesterday mm-hmm. when they have Alzheimer's they don't always remember as we know what happened five minutes ago but they might remember what happened 40 years ago and yeah. so that's where we we want to take them where they are and get them to talk if they're losing their words, that's a good opportunity to have actually something to do with them. If your loved one has is in the house with you and they are losing their words, then let them do sorting socks. Let them set the table. Let them um, have a, a puzzle that they used to like to do but has a puzzle with smaller pieces. Obviously, they can't do a 500-piece puzzle anymore. We've found puzzles with as little as six pieces. Mm -hmm. And so we have puzzles that are six pieces, 12 pieces, 36 pieces, and we do have a couple that have 100 pieces. But as they decline, you have to give them something that's going to be no fail, something that's going to make them happy, that's not going to be frustrating, because they have enough frustration during the day. They don't need more frustration with something that you're going to offer them to do. Now, on your site, you have, um, you know, I kind of like the way that you break it down. And if people haven't been there, again, I I would really encourage you to check it out. It's it's called Best Alzheimer's Products. 
as you break down your activities to manipulative games and entertainment, can you explain to our audience the difference between those categories? Manipulative games and... And entertainment. Entertainment. Well, manipulative is anything that you can touch. A ball, a puzzle, uh, game pieces that you can move around. Um, our entertainment is very uh, passive. We have a couple of different kinds of entertainment. We have what we call respite videos, and those were designed specifically for people with Alzheimer's. They are 13 different titles, and they are made with somebody who's going to have a conversation with the person who's watching. They speak slowly to them. There's maybe a little music. They talk about maybe gardening and whatever. You can pick the, out the different titles. And if they're not going to engage in that, then maybe they just want to watch a beautiful nature video with music because they're not going to follow a sitcom or the news. They're not going to be able to follow that anymore. So let's let them watch something that they can just enjoy. We can all enjoy that. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention, too, um, because I hear this a lot from, from people who have dementia uh, that talk to me about it, but they say, you know, a lot of times they can't follow it, but they're very comfortable sitting and just watching with a loved one or a friend just because mm -hmm. of having that presence with them. But, again, I think we have to be really conscious of, what that looks like, and so, you know, is it triggering stress for them? I think we have to be really, really careful of what's, what's on TV or the DVD or whatever the heck you're using, and right. that's one of the nice things, I think, of what you have to offer is it's very, um, it's usually very calming, and because um, I know, I, I mean, I've seen people so many times get triggered just by the news, something we take for granted. Oh, absolutely. But the news can be very frightening. I mean, really, what's good on the news that, that anybody needs to watch, <laughs> and especially somebody with Alzheimer's? Uh, we have a, a series that we get from Sentimental Productions, and it's kind of like a magazine DVD where it's like 60 minutes and they have different segments and they're filmed all around the country and it's it's kind of like watching a 60 minutes program but it's only 45 minutes and okay. you can, you, that's something I think that is a good replacement for the news because they might think they're watching the news <laughs> uh -huh. okay when they're well, actually not well that's wonderful that's wonderful and so you talked about manipulative dude talked about um, entertainment. What about games? What type can you give us maybe a couple of examples? Well, our favorite game is the Quirkle game. And it's a good one for people with Alzheimer's. It's little tiles that are about an inch and a half square, and they have one color and one shape on each tile. And you play it like you would play dominoes, where you normally with dominoes you would match the number of little dots to uh -huh. the next tile. But this is only one color and one shape on each tile. So you match the color or the shape, and you can play it with somebody if they're still able to play it with a partner. Uh, when I first gave it to Bernice, she was in the middle stages of her decline, and she really couldn't play it with me. But when I told her how it worked, that she could match up the 
tiles either by color or by shape. She sat there for half an hour and built herself a whole little pattern on the on the table. And she mm-hmm. was really deliberate about choosing the ones that would match. And she enjoyed that. And we have lots of other games, too. But, again, we have to remember that those games are to be played at their level. Okay. You have to go into their world when you're playing that game. Okay. Okay. Now, you also have on here, which I just love, sensory uh, stimulation. And you've got the visual, the auditory, taste, smell, and tactile. If you could explain that, I, I think that is so critical, and it's something that we really overlook the importance of um, really um, feeding our sensory, um, you know, our, our sensory, uh, I can't, I'm losing my words here. For, well, anyways, to, to give us sensory stimulation. And um, so I love that you have this down. And maybe if you can explain each of those to people and how how you see that that being a benefit and maybe give an example too? Well, we have what we have is a Busy Bee Lap Pad, mm-hmm. which is very good for sensory stimulation. It's a pad that's filled with a, a gel pad that's weighted, and it's very visual, but it's also tactile. You can move things around on it. You can feel things. And anytime you're doing anything with sensory stimulation, it's going to bring on reminiscence, and you just you can't get enough of it. It's all around you every day. So we, we recommend that people plan to have things that are visual, they're auditory, like music. Anybody's going to remember... Uh, old songs, and they might perk right up when they hear an old song. So the mm-hmm. auditory is important, and the taste. A lot of times people will decline in their ability to taste and smell. So if we provide things that are give them a little uh, punch of smell, like the lavender oils that we sell for aromatherapies, uh, those are very soothing, and things that are tasty. Don't forget to salt their food. Hopefully they don't have a heart problem. And, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we all want something that tastes good and that we can touch and feel and anything that's going to stimulate those senses. Okay. We're all in favor of that. Yep, yep. And then you also have alternative therapies, which I think so many times people don't um, – don't think of, and you already, you know, mentioned the lavender for aromatherapy, but there's there's all different types of things that that smell can trigger for us. Um, right. It, it, our, our alternative therapies we call comfort therapy, um, light therapy, aromatherapy, music therapy, art therapy. Comfort therapy are some of our things like our twiddle muffs, and this is one of the twiddle, things... It, tell us what a twiddle muff is. <laughs> a twiddle muff is, is the greatest. It's just the greatest. It was developed by a woman whose grandmother was losing her sight, and so she made a muff for her that had little attachments on it that she could feel. And then after her grandmother passed away, as it turns out, her mother-in-law developed dementia. Mm-hmm. So she made a couple of other different kinds for her. 
and it's a muff. It's something you can put your hands in, and when you put your hands in, there's a ball in there to squeeze, and on the outside of it, there is a string of beads, and there's some ribbons, and then there's a little um, bag of marbles that's enclosed. They don't, you can't get them out. They're all sewn in. All of the attachments come off, so you can throw the muff in the wash, and we like the fact that it was developed for somebody with dementia. Mm-hmm. So that's a comfort, and we it comes in five different styles. You can buy one that looks like a pup or a cat or uh, a plaid one for the men that looks more sporting, and uh, one with some fringe if somebody's very tactile and likes to be touching things all the time. We also have what we call an anti-stress comfort wrap. It's just a neck wrap that's filled with, different herbs that you can put in the microwave and warm it up. It'll stay warm after two minutes in the microwave. It'll stay warm for two hours. And it has a nice aromatherapy. Uh, the doll therapy, some people kind of cringe at the doll therapy, Lori. Mm-hmm. But my feeling is if it makes them happy, let them have a doll. Yeah. You know, we we can't as caregivers always decide what's best for them. If they don't want it, they won't pick it up. Yeah. And the best way to present a doll is not to actually say, look what I bought for you, Mom, because sometimes people with dementia will think, oh, no, that's too much responsibility because they look at their reality different than we do, and they might think, oh, this is a baby I have to take care of. They might mm-hmm. think it's real. So instead, I if you decide that, that a doll that. might be comforting, yeah, place it somewhere where they can find it, mm-hmm. and if they find it and like it and take charge, then good. And it's been very comforting for a lot of people. Well, and with the baby, I think what um, what it can be, and people don't typically look at it like this because we we relate it to being childlike, but it gives the person purpose. Um, I have seen where. Uh, one woman had lost a child, which was mm-hmm. very painful, and she went back before before the baby um, died. And, and it was just so comforting for her to have this child back in her life again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it where people um, maybe uh, had a lot of kids or did daycare, and that uh, that just filled their heart, and they loved that. And right. So that was that's a precious time um, to yeah. them to be responsible and to be loving, and so we have to look at it in a different light to not take away their purpose. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and you know the part of the brain that's uh, affected by Alzheimer's are other parts besides the emotion. When somebody has Alzheimer's, they they still have emotion. That part of the brain is not affected. And so we have to we have to draw on that for them and mm-hmm. find things that will bring out their emotion because it is there. And oftentimes a sense of humor oh, is yeah. one of the last things to go. And if somebody has a sense of humor, you can really alleviate a lot of stressful situations just by a sense of humor. Yep, yep, that's uh, that's worked extremely well with my mom. I mean, our, our family. I mean, we're just always you know, kind of looking for the lighter side of things. And so that has been... Another alternative therapy is light. 
Mm-hmm. If you don't live in an area where you have a lot of sunlight and you can get your loved one out into that light for a half an hour every day, then get one of our happy lights and just put it right next to their chair and let it be on because light therapy really will help to enhance people's moods and it might help them sleep better at night too. Sometimes people get their days and nights mixed up and then if you're at home taking care of someone, then your days and nights are mixed up and you have to take care of yourself as a caregiver because you can't take care of your loved one if you're depleted. So we need to remember that. Exactly. And, I mean, light therapy, a lot of doctors, um, I mean, I have several friends who have a problem with that, and they just rave about those lamps and what what it does for them. And you also have art therapy down. Art therapy is one of our favorite things. Um, We we think that anybody can do art uh, because it's it's in the moment, and even if you were never an artist, you can pick up a paintbrush and and do something. Uh, we really recommend one of our DVDs called "I Remember Better When I Paint," mm-hmm. and the title of that came from a woman named Hilgo Gorenstein. She was a painter and a sculptor. And in her early years, she was commissioned to paint the history of the U.S. Navy for the Chicago World's Fair in 1933. And she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in her 80s, and she finally moved into a facility when she was 90. But she had decided in her early 80s that she was done with painting. But after she was in this nursing home, she became withdrawn and agitated at times and apathetic, and she was nonverbal. And one day when her daughter was visiting her, she asked her mother if she wanted to paint. And her mother replied, yes, I remember better when I paint. So this is not a DVD just about this woman. It's got many other topics on it, understanding Alzheimer's. There's a little uh, section about Rita Hayworth, who also had Alzheimer's. They show creative workshops. They show museum visits. They show uh, facilities in France and show how they incorporate art into their program in a lot of the French uh, facilities. There's a, a little blurb in there about Skip Curtis, who was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's at age 59, and it shows how he and his family chose to participate in different drug studies to try to help other people. So it's a lot of information on this particular DVD, so don't be fooled by by the title. Uh, But it's also very encouraging to see they have a lot of footage of people in different care communities and showing how the caregivers work with them, the section uh, about this woman who was the painter, was they show her with students from the Art Institute of Chicago who came in to work with her and how devoted they were to her. And it's just very heartwarming. And it's encouraging to any of us like me who has no artistic ability at all that I might be able to encourage someone to do something. Uh, we also have a book called Memories in the Making, who, which was written by Doris Henley, and she is out in California, works with the Orange County chapter 
of the Alzheimer's Association, and it's a book for people to show you how to incorporate art into your daily activity. So this is something that's in the in the now for someone, and we think it's a great idea. We'd like to encourage that. Well, and I think uh, even when you're helping somebody, you know, with an art project, I mean, we all have the ability to do something um, that could shock us, <laughs> you know, because we don't know if we don't try. And it's kind of about removing our fears and our inhibitions, and that's one of the nice things with this disease in a strange, strange way, but as it progresses, I mean, they don't have um, inhibitions anymore, and Uh they they don't worry about judgment. They just do it, and it's incredible because I think sometimes we lock ourselves down um, by worrying what others are going to think. I know I'm... I wouldn't consider myself an artist um, by any stretch. And something my my daughter and I did once, I I just, I felt like we were drifting apart when she was getting to be a teenager. But Mm -hmm. we went, just took a painting class. And they were, it was just very fun. And so I got them framed with like a little saying about, you know, just kind of a little poetic scene. And we've got them framed and they're just gorgeous. I mean, they just, um, mm-hmm. you know, fra- framing can do a lot in and of itself, but it was it was fun to do. But it captured that moment in time, and it's mm-hmm. not about that it's going to be exhibited in a museum or any exhibit, but it's just a place in time to pull both of us back to really a cool time in our life, and and also remember a struggle that we had gone through, and it, it wasn't anything that we normally craved to do. And so, you know, I would encourage everybody to lighten up a little bit um, and That's not true. And, and, and participate because when we participate, when we wholeheartedly participate versus when it's just a task we're pushing in front of somebody, um, it has a whole different feel to the person that we're working with, you know, because they're picking up on our nonverbals and that it isn't important, but it's kind of like a right. picture. You know, and, you know, you don't have to have a conversation with somebody if they're maybe having trouble with their words. If you're sitting down with a paintbrush, mm-hmm. you can just sit and paint. Exactly. And there doesn't have to be any words. We have another interesting um, product called Aqua Paint, mm-hmm. and this was developed by Ben in England for his grandfather. He developed this, and he developed some puzzles. And the aqua paints are fun because they come four pictures in a package. They're about 8 by 11. And there's an outline, like this, like picture an outline of a butterfly. And all you need is a paintbrush and water. And as you're painting over the whole rest of the page, all the colors of the butterfly come up. Oh, and cool. so all you need is water, and after you're done, you have this beautiful picture. And then when it dries, it goes back to white, and you can do it again and again and again. Oh, no, that's so neat. It's very neat. I don't know what it's made of, but it's always a big hit, and we have several different uh, – we have the seasons and the sports and the marvelous machines with, you know, airplanes, and um, it's it's a fun thing. And the puzzles are good, too. We've been really very lucky to find things that were made specifically for people with Alzheimer's. You know, they always say necessity is the mother of invention. 
and I think uh, Margaret developed her twiddle muffs for out of necessity, and then these puzzles and aqua paints also. Uh, we have a an item called the Kind Reminder that was mm-hmm. developed by a woman for her mother who was at home with a caregiver during the day and asked the caregiver every five minutes, when is Linda coming home? <laughs> so <laughs> Linda developed a little recording device that she can leave a message for her mother saying, hi, Mom, this is Linda. You're going to be here with Judy all day today, and I'll see you at dinner. And so there's just one big button to press, and her mother can listen to her daughter's voice as many times as she wants, leaving that message all day long. So I thought that was pretty clever of her to to develop something like that. Sometimes it is just that voice that brings that calm. Mm-hmm. And it's a simple, it's a simple, simple fix, and yeah, a brilliant idea. And again, Isn't that it's not a good idea. Work, not going to work for everybody all the time, and it might work for a person for a while and then not. And you know, I think one of the things that that I would love to see is people sharing the tools and tips that they have more. Yes with others um, so that they know that they exist. And it would be cool if there was a way to even recycle things that you no longer needed to get them back to people mm-hmm. who, um, who could use them. Um, that would mm-hmm. be a really, a really neat thing to be able to do. Well, things like, like puzzles. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you do a puzzle a few times, maybe you don't want to do that puzzle anymore. Or maybe that puzzle has too many pieces for your loved one now, and you could share that with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We we met a young man called named Max Wallach, who is his great grandmother had Alzheimer's and lived with their family at, when he was a child, and she liked to do puzzles, and he couldn't find puzzles that had few pieces could only find puzzles that had big pieces. So he first, as a young man, started a nonprofit organization called Puzzles to Remember. And people send him puzzles from all over the country, and he takes them to nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And he does, he's had thousands and thousands of them, and now he has contacted a puzzle company to make adult-looking puzzles with less pieces. Uh-huh. So we have some of his puzzles. They're called Springbok Puzzles to Remember, and they have 36 pieces. You know, because some of the problem with puzzles that have less pieces, they're for children. And you don't want to give somebody a puzzle that's definitely a child's puzzle. You want it to look like an adult puzzle. Yeah. So that was another brilliant mind at work. (laughs) And a a very young, brilliant mind. Oh, yeah. He he has a... He's a, just a marvelous young man. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, when you look at some child's puzzles, you know, that, like the wooden ones, um, people go, oh, you know, that's a kid's puzzle. But, you know, as we age, a, a lot of times we don't have the fine motor skills, so the bigger pieces right. make a difference. They're, they're easy for someone to, to maneuver, so we have to not judge things out of the chute and really look at what does the person... Um, with dementia need, and again, the needs vary because we're all we're all different. Um, but again, we just we have to look big picture at this stuff. Definitely, yeah. uh, definitely. 
Definitely. Now, you also have on your site, I, I just think it's just a marvelous site, um, a lot Thank of you. things for caregivers. You've got um, a video on respite. You've got information on communication and just talking about reminiscence therapy are just some of the tabs, but creating a safe environment. Can you talk kind of about, you know, your your uh, area for caregivers on there? Well, we'd like to have more things for caregivers, and right now we, we try to focus on what caregivers can use for their, uh, you know, to make their life easier by, by keeping their loved one busy. But communicating is really a key thing. You never stop communicating with somebody. Always when you're talking to the person with Alzheimer's, you want to keep eye contact with them. Make sure that they're focused on you. And speak slowly. If you don't speak slowly, their mind can't catch up to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So be more deliberate with your speak. And just make sure that you're, you're looking at them right in the eye because they need that. They need that to folk, help them focus. Okay. And, the, and what else can I tell you? Well, there's just so much stuff out there. Well, then you also have kind of a news and research area um, on the site. So you've got lots of great information there. Um, we do. On our news and research, if you go on there, you'll see a uh, video that's really interesting that talks about how actually the brain uh, deteriorates with Alzheimer's. It shows you the different parts of the brain, what goes first, what goes next. And as caregivers, we need to educate ourselves. We absolutely need to educate ourselves so that we know what to expect. It's, it can be overwhelming. When you get that diagnosis of Alzheimer's, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, now what? Yep. And don't despair because things move slowly. It's not like your person with Alzheimer's is all of a sudden going to be non-communicative and won't be able to put their shoes on. Things, things progress at a slow rate, as you know. It's not going to happen overnight where you're going to have to be getting them dressed and showering them and, and doing all these things. But you should be prepared. You should be prepared for that and get yourself educated so that you know there's lots of information on, on the Internet now. There's lots of support groups. There's places to go to get help for yourself. And as caregivers, we need that. Don't try to do this by yourself. No. Get a support system. Get a support system going. Even if it's a neighbor that can come over and sit with your mom while you go to the grocery store, mm -hmm. uh, they can sit there for an hour with them and visit, and it will be a nice change for your mother to have somebody else visiting. Yep. So yep. we need to remember that. We need to search out what we need for ourselves so that we can have a little break. Sometimes a day facility is a good idea. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to take my loved one there. They won't like it. Well, you know what? They might just like it a lot. <laughs> you don't know till you try. They might say, I don't want to go there. And they might say it all the way in the car every time you go. And then when you pick them up, they're going to tell you what a great time they had. Sort yeah. of like taking your child to preschool for the first time. I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I want to stay here with you. And yeah. then you find out they had a fabulous time. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to get back. And, yeah, then they don't want to leave and come home. And 
<laughs> right. They have so much fun, and this is what we did, and it's a break for you. Everybody needs a break. You can't be there 24-7. You need your rest. You need time to regroup. You need time for yourself, and you need you just need to be aware that you don't want to try to do this by yourself. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get overwhelmed and try to do everything yourself. Some people don't have... Uh, siblings that are willing to step up, enlist your friends, enlist a neighbor, try anything you can just to give yourself a little break because it's yeah. a lot of work. It a is lot a lot of work. I was going to say, I looked for seven years with Bernice at different places to move her. Seven years. She would call me up and she'd say, Holly, I saw a new place in the paper. I think we should go visit that. And I wanted to desperately to move her somewhere where she could get taken care of because she was in this condo by herself and things were not going well. So I discovered, I guess I'm a slow learner after seven years, that she really had no intention of moving. She just liked to go and visit these places with me. <laughs> We'd make a day of it and have lunch and she'd have a great time. <laughs> but then it finally reached the point where we had a little crisis and when they did a, a psychological evaluation on her, they realized that she absolutely could not live by herself anymore. So that was a relief to me because I had been telling them that she needed help and I wasn't getting a lot of support. Sure, sure. Now, on, on your site, too, you also, under the caregiver section, you talk about, um, you know, physical and mental exercise, um, you know, with dancing and walking. You just have a lot of nice tips and other aids. Talk about specialized clothing. you have clothing alternatives um, on your site at all, or? We do not. Okay. We but, do not. Uh, okay, because I, I think that that is something um, that people really need to consider. I mean, it can be as silly as, you know, not using uh, lace-up shoes and having slip-ons or Velcro. Um, yes, and there are a couple of companies out there, and if, if somebody wants to call us on our toll-free number, we'll find out what it is for them if they're, if they're in need of that. We've seen clothes where you can just put their arms and legs through and Velcro it up down the back mm -hmm. so that they don't try to take things off. And some of the clothes are pretty nice. Some of them are dresses. Some of them are just pantsuits. Some, you know, you're going to need some of those things maybe down the road. Yep. And again, it can be um, it can work well for them to be more independent, and um, as the disease progresses, it can work well for you as an individual caregiver um, to have less stress in terms of some of those grooming um, activities, you know, that, mm -hmm. that need to be done and that we go through. And so, you know, don't ignore the simple things that can make a huge difference. I'm for whatever makes my life easier. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. But there's too many stresses involved with this disease as it is. So we need to look for things that are going to simplify our lives as much as possible. Definitely. Now, last I want to also note, and again, I, I think this is the first website I've ever gone through like this on the show because this is just not normally... Uh, the way I go, but I was just really impressed again with, with what well, all thank you have very much in the variety. Um, you know, I love even just the simple things like the photo phones and, um, I mean, you just have so many cool things. But 
The other thing is you have a community section where people can make product reviews and post comments. And I think that that's really nice to be able to share with one another. So this isn't just the store. Um, you know, people, you know, it's kind of almost like an Angie's list, um, you know, for these products and stuff in terms of talking about what is it really like and how is it working. Um, and, I, and I think that that's very helpful for people to be able to um, participate um, because there might be another entrepreneur who's going to put a twist on something that if someone's having an issue uh, mm -hmm. with the product, um, that someone might come up with something that works a little bit better or a way to use it a little bit different um, mm -hmm. than even the directions say because I know I've repurposed a lot of things and that's not how the directions say to use them, but it works. You know, whatever works. Yeah. You know, if your loved one is living at home still and is still kind of managing and they need help with their medications, we have something called a med dispenser. And you can fill it up. It locks. And the meds will be dispensed once, twice, three, or four times a day, whatever is necessary. And the little machine turns and the little pills appear and it makes a buzzing noise until they take them out and, and take them. <laughs> uh -huh. So, you know, we don't want to give people a whole bottle of pills and then they don't remember what they took. Uh, this is a nice device for somebody who's in their earlier stages and just needs that extra help, just like the photo phones. Yep. If you're not yep. remembering somebody's phone number, we have phones where you can put a picture uh, in, and then it's a speed dial. You press the picture of your daughter or your son, and then it goes right to their phone number. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the, the – do you do any apps at all or work with anybody with apps? We haven't. What have um, you got? I should, I should get you in contact with a gal who has the – it's called the Unifactus. And it's an app for the iPhone, um, but it's it's great because it people can dial using photos on every frame. There's kind of a little help bar, so if somebody got lost, they would know who the contact person is. Because I mean, you go to a phone, and who the heck would you mm -hmm. call? You know. And then it also has uh, kind of an invisible sense function with it that can alert a caregiver for certain proximities. And people with early onset absolutely love this for themselves, it makes them feel safer is what I've been told by many. And, Good idea. Um, and then also the, the care partner is notified if, if there's been contact by, I think, email and phone as well. So um, it helps monitor so they don't get scammed and things. So there's kind of a lot of neat things with that. But I can, I can send you the gal's information. Again, um, young gal in college is who developed this. And I think it's you know nine ninety nine or something, but it's it's a neat little product and a, a nice little safety ring. But at this point, I think it just works on the iPhone, mm -hmm. and so someone typically would have to be used to using an iPhone system as well, you know, with that. But but I thank you so much for being with us. I can't believe our hour is just about up here. And well, so I appreciate you having me. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Well, good. I'm sorry we had a little little difficulty there in the beginning. Like I said, the full moon always shakes things loose a little bit, but, but we got on track, so we're good to go. Um, why don't you tell people how to get a hold of you and um, 
And they're yeah. always welcome to call us on our 800 number, which is 877-300-3021. And our website is bestalzheimersproducts.com. And they'll get to the website. There will be pages and pages of in- information. And then if you look up on the on the top, you'll see a little button that says visit our store. And if you click on that, then you'll get to see all the items that we we offer. But I think it's a good idea to read through the information. I know it's a lot and you can't do it all at once, but pick through it and pick out what is going to be interesting to you or what maybe you have some questions about. And if there's ever anything we can do to help you, please call. If they're looking for something and you don't see it uh, on our site, we might still know where to find it. We might just not carry it. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, and you just have a great day. I'm going to go ahead and roll into our second half of our show with our other guests then, but I really appreciate all your time. Okay, Lori, you take care. Okay, Nice bye to talk now. to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, our, next, our next guests here are, um, I'm thrilled to have, work with Bloom and Carolyn Claver. Um, works as gathering coordinator, and she has 30 years of nursing experience plus specialized in training for memory memory. She is the um, coordinator, uh, again, of the Lynn Bloomstein's um, gathering, which is a cognitive and social stimulation um, kind of group program for people living with early to mid-stage and it helps provide them, um, you know, respite for for their caregivers. She's currently working with Lutheran Social Services uh, in America, also to take the gathering to a national level. So I'm really excited to have her with us today. She's a certified Alzheimer's educator. She serves on the Alzheimer's Association Early Stage Workshop Group, and she's a member of the Prepare Minnesota for Alzheimer's 2020. Um, sustaining caregivers uh, leadership group. Carolyn is a dynamic educator and a leader in the field of memory loss and her passion for enhancing the lives of those affected with memory loss is not going to go unnoticed on this show, I'm sure. So, Carolyn, how are you doing today? I'm well, Lori. Thank you. How about yourself? Well, good, good. I'm going to um, also introduce your cohort in crime here, Betsy Hoffman. And um, Betsy has been the business specialist for the gathering since 2009, and she is responsible for compiling and organizing and tracking all of their volunteers, which she's going to talk about, which is just kind of a, a massive thing, and their training program and participation um, retention program versus income and expenses so that they can really track how they're how they're doing with this group, which is absolutely amazing, and that's kind of why they want to go uh, on a national level. So how are you doing today, Betsy? Good morning. I'm doing fine as well. Wonderful. Well, good. Well, I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do with the two of you on the line is I'm going to ping-pong questions back and forth. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Carolyn. And if you can just explain to people, it's always nice for our audience to know if you have been personally touched through the um through dementia with family or friends? And if you can give us a little background. Yeah, personally I have uh, 
two parents and a father-in-law that all have had memory loss. My father passed away last fall. Uh, he had had a couple of strokes and had uh, quite a change in his executive functions over the course of five years. My mother um, had memory issues begin when she was 63 years of age, and after a series of testing, we later found out that she had Lewy bodies, so we've lived with this diagnosis for over 10 years now. My father-in-law was diagnosed with Lewy bodies as well, and uh, he lives in central Iowa, so uh, this is something that I'm definitely personally touched by. Okay, and how about you, Betsy? Well, I as well have had several friends whose parents were diagnosed at a very early age, and one friend in particular also has a grandmother, several aunts, and an uncle, uh, as well as her mother, who have passed away from Alzheimer's. So I'm looking ahead to what her future might hold to see how I might be able to help her through anything that might come her way. I've also had several other people in, in my family, and recently I was uh, able to help my sister after she suffered a stroke and had some memory loss from that. And my training through um, the gathering has really been able to help me with um, helping family help her as well as helping her directly. Wonderful. Um, Carolyn, can you tell us a little bit about um, the organization that you work for and um, why dealing with memory loss is important to them? Yes, uh, I can. If I could, I'd like to back up one second. We're missing a co-worker today. Okay. Uh, Sue Bulow is the nurse that also works with us, and uh, she had a, a loss in her family, so was not able to make it with us today. But she, too, has been a caregiver for many years. So the three of us together, uh, this is very personal work for us as well. Um, with Ling Blumston, we've been around for over 105 years uh, in the Midway Como Park area of um, St. Paul, uh, and um, we are a part of Home and Community-Based Services, which uh, our specific area has been something that Lingwomston has really allowed us to work specifically with people with memory loss, and the gathering has been doing this for 12 years. Um, we uh, have grown from one site and just a few participants, which uh, started in 2000 uh, to a very um, large uh, group that we work with now. Along with that, we do quite a bit of speaking on memory loss, and uh, we just have been very embraced by um, the Lindblomston community. Our care center has memory units as well, uh, and we have teamed with the um, Lindblomston Care Center as well on different um, memory issues, so uh, it's a collective uh, way of working in both in the community and in our facility to impact memory loss. Okay, great. Well, I'm, I'm just so anxious for you guys to talk about the different programs um, that you have. So let's start out with the gathering. And um, Carolyn, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you um, take this one too to begin with, and then I'll have Bessie kick in afterwards. But if you can explain the concept of the gathering and kind of when it started, I think that would be very helpful. Yeah, so um, what happened in 2000 was the Coma Park, uh, Coma Park Black Nurse Program approached Ling Blumston's care team ministry coordinator 
and said, we have caregivers in the community that could use a break. Uh, do you have volunteers that might be able to assist in the community with that? Um, Julie Fobb had just uh, trained a group of volunteers at St. Timothy Lutheran in St. Paul, and they hadn't yet started um, work with any care partners. Uh, and therefore, she thought, this is pretty much in the same neighborhood. Let me ask this group of volunteers. They've already been trained on adult issues and vulnerable adults and communication and such, so she went and asked them. They said absolutely yes, and six weeks later they opened the first gathering. So it really was very grassroots, and Alzheimer's Association came in and did some uh, education to help them get uh, up to speed very quickly, uh, in addition to their current training that they've had for care team. Uh, from there, uh, we have grown uh, another parish nurse uh, site for Ling Blumston wanted to start the gathering, and that was up at Centennial United Methodist in Roseville. Uh, from there, um, I came on board as the coordinator. It grew too large for Julie Fobb to work under care team with, so the gathering became its own entity. And we grew into West St. Paul at Augustana Lutheran and Salem Lutheran churches. Um, we've uh, gone on to be in uh, Minnetonka and Golden Valley, uh, working with five churches up there. Down in Saint, South St. Paul, uh, West St. Paul area, we have four churches that work together on the Southeast Consortium. And then we went to White Bear Lake, and we have 10 churches that work together for the Northeast Consortium. Since then, we've gone on to Minneapolis as well, and we have nine churches that are working together there. So um, this uh, continues to grow. Um, the communities are seeing the need to reach out to the caregivers, since 70% of caregivers that have a loved one of memory loss are still living in our communities. This is a great way of our communities reaching in to uh, meet the need of their neighbors and people that they go to church with, their family members, their friends. Um, and so we've had 12 years of doing this, and uh, we, I don't think, anticipated this type of growth, but we've had great partnerships with the congregations. They give in kind their space. They come up with the volunteers. We provide the training and the mentoring and um the nurse to do the admissions and discharges. So it's really a, a in-kind way of uh, many of us working together to affect this. I, I think it's wonderful, the collaboration that's going on and pulling communities and businesses together yeah. um, to help the public. I mean, it, it is something yeah. that we don't, in my opinion, see enough of. And, uh, well, and one thing, Lori, that I might want to mention is uh, even though it started to help the caregiver, it wasn't long until it was quickly realized this is making a big impact not only on the caregiver, but it's making an impact on the person with memory loss. Uh, we receive very high marks from our participants for the most part because they are having each of them their own volunteer during that group time uh, to... Um, meet the needs of that individual, whether they have frequent questions, whether they need to get up and move about, that one-on-one -on -one volunteer provides that. So that has turned out to be something uh, that meets the needs on both ends, the caregiver and the person with memory loss. Wonderful. Um, yeah, the group is, however, for the person with memory loss. The caregiver drops off and has that respite time. So the group is for the person with memory loss. Okay. So can you, um, Betsy, can you tell us a little bit what what do people do when they attend the group? What What's the group about? 
Well, they start out and are greeted at the door by their volunteer for the day, their volunteer buddy, one of the sites calls them. And then they start out with coffee and conversation around a table that includes all those participants and volunteers. And we try and space them so that there's a volunteer in between each participant just to ensure um, group activity and, and that things go easily. We've had people come in um, who present a program and they look around the table and they say they honestly can't tell the participants from the volunteers. So it's really nice that we uh, keep things um, on that level so that we do preserve the dignity of all who do come to the program. So each day is planned uh, by the lead volunteers for the day and they always come up with a theme for the day. Sometimes they are related to different seasons and things happening uh, at different times of the year. Otherwise, it's just uh, whatever seems to interest them that they think the participants would be interested in as well. We do invite the participants and their families to bring anything that has to do with the theme if there's something that they would like to share, and that um, offers a lot of interaction as well. Um, so we'll do a couple of different activities in the morning, and, and those might be anything from a word search or a puzzle, discussion about the topic, um, engaging questions, trying to get people to respond and, and work together as a group as well as with their individual volunteer. Um, we always try and incorporate some sort of music and exercise. It's light exercise, sometimes yoga or tai chi or just some stretching and, and reaching, um, just to keep the blood going and help work that area of the brain that has to do with balance and coordination. Um, the music uh, is a, usually a huge hit with everyone, and they've done different types of music from having someone come in to play the piano, uh, someone to play the church organ, or in one site we had a kitchen band and brought all sorts of different things, and that was just a hoot. Everyone had so much fun with that. Um, then we always have lunch provided by the church or um, a partnering church that would bring in the lunch for the day. And in the afternoon, several other activities. Um, each activity is very purposefully chosen to work different areas of the brain and to be interesting to the participants. And like Carolyn said, if there's a certain activity or a thing that isn't going well with a particular participant for whatever reason, their volunteer is free to get up and walk them around the church and look at the artwork around the church or go off in a different area and do a different activity and then rejoin the group at a later time. Um, sometimes they show different movies or DVDs. We try and keep each activity to no more than 30 minutes just for the attention span of the person with memory loss. Um, and then their caregiver comes and picks them up at 3 o'clock, and honestly, the day just flies by. And I don't know who has more fun, the volunteers or the participants. <laughs> so what time do you start, Caroline? Yeah, every one of our sites starts at 10 in the morning, and they all finish their day, their gathering day, at 3 in the afternoon. So our sites across the metro are all five hours. Our caregivers begged us not to change that and make it less than that. It's very difficult for many of them to get out uh, if their person that they are working with uh, does any type of wandering or traveling um, where it could put them at risk for uh, getting lost. So. With that in mind, these uh, caregivers often um, either have to take the person with memory loss with them or they can't uh, go out and do the activity unless someone um, sits in for them. 
and therefore many of them begged us, please do not change it from less than to less than five hours because it would be difficult for us to do dental appointments, doctor appointments, hair permanence. Um, and so uh, meeting with friends, doing their grocery shopping, even going home and taking a nap, uh, five hours was very sacred and very important to them. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. Now, how big is an average group? Is there a limit to the size of the group? or um, Our groups as a whole um, go between 8 and 11 participants. Uh, the difference for the range is that it's all really based on the number of volunteers available at that particular season. For example, maybe in the summer months, um, maybe we normally have uh, – 25, 28 volunteers per site, but during the summer some of them are gone quite a bit with vacations, helping with their grandchildren, uh, off to the lake, and if we're running a little lower on volunteers, we never want to strain our volunteer groups, so we may decrease this back to eight participants during that time when someone is discharged. We just wouldn't fill that spot right away. Um, or um, if the volunteers are plenty and they're feeling like they want to take on more and we see things staying very healthy at the site, uh, we'll increase them to uh, what the level is that's appropriate. Eleven seems to be the maximum, and it really depends on the space that we're in for each site. If the space is tight, uh, we don't in any way want to increase it to 11 because it would make it difficult for our participants. If the space is more generous, there's no problem if the volunteers agree that they'd like to do this, um, that we'll go ahead and we will then increase them accordingly. Well, and even if you're going, you know, in that, that range to 8, 10, 11, whatever, and then if you've got a one-on-one -on -one going, you know, you've got a, a good-sized group. Pretty quick. That's right. <laughs> Very much so. You have, I mean, if you have eight participants in a gathering, you then have 16 people because you're one-on-one, -on -one, and now you take your lead. And some of our sites have two or three people that lead together. So 16 plus three, you're at 19 people. Then if you've got a couple kitchen crew, you're at 21. So you're right. Yeah. And so I think that that's, you know, if people are um, listening to the concept, I know for our memory cafe, you know, I've, I've always said I really don't want to go over 20, and that is, you know, we have, for those, we have the caregiver and the person with memory loss. But I think it loses its intimacy. And and then there's the noise factor, too, that, you know, you really have to have a, a controlled environment for them to be able to sort through who's saying what. Um, anyways, the, the way our group works, and so we try to take that into uh, into account as well. You know, yep, it's that. very much the case. Very true, uh, and uh, that amount of uh, stimulation that you do within that group, uh, you definitely need to be. That's why we keep our activities pretty close to about 30 minutes each. We lose mm -hmm. their interest after that time as well. So, Okay. Um, now, Betsy, is there a fee for the, the gathering, and is there a time frame? Does it start and end the program, or is it kind of an endless program? How, how does that work? Well, the person with the memory loss who is um, brought into the gathering goes through an assessment process that is done by Sue Bulow, our um, site liaison, who's not able to be here with us today. She goes through some memory testing to make sure that they are appropriate for the program, and then she monitors that uh, during the time that they are with us to make sure that they 
continue to fit our criteria and um, get the most possible out of the group that they can. Um, the charge is $45 a time, and we do have a sliding fee scale. I bill monthly um, for each of the participants' families. Um, we, we are very um, easy to work with as far as making sure that we can be there for any income level. Uh, we do have um, the opportunity to be um, able to build Dakota County, and we are working on other counties as well. So that, that would help them. And yes, um, we do request payment for the first three times up front uh, with the first bill, and then um, that's adjusted uh, going through. And we have a whole billing policy that we give them uh, upon entrance to the program. Okay, and so the the pro, I mean, so it's a regular support group, and they just have to meet the criteria to be in the group. It's not like it's it's ten sessions or something. Correct. It's ongoing oh. as long as they fit the criteria. Okay, great. Now, you ladies are also working on another program. I believe it's called the Early Memory Loss Pilot. And um, uh, Carolyn, if you can tell us about that. I will. Lori, would you mind if I backed up one second as well? Oh, no, no, I wanted no, to. I wanted to just clarify. Uh, what we do with the gathering is not classified as a support group. Okay. What we do with the gathering is classified as group respite. So it is a support for the people with memory loss, and then the nurse also gives support to the caregiver. She touches base with them a couple times a month. Um, but it's different than a support group. Our gatherings are cognitive and social stimulation, and that's done for five hours. It's an intentional plan for five hours, very similar to a teacher's plan. So I just wanted to clarify, this is not a support group. It's a cognitive and social stimulating group, and they're considered group respites across the country which is okay. different than an adult day. Adult days come with a lot of staffing, which meets much um, different needs. Um, the people that come to our group uh, might not need daily uh, physical therapy or recreation therapy or toileting by a nurse's aide or bathing, and our group doesn't offer any of that. So we're not like an adult day. We're very different. We're cognitive and social stimulation for that five hours. The question you asked me was about the early memory loss pilot, Lori, and I um, was able to uh, uh, receive training from other agencies across the country who are doing work in early memory loss um, and had about four years of conferences that I had uh, picked up information and purchased several books to get an idea of the type of work that they're doing. With the early memory loss pilots, uh, again, it's not a support group, so there are support groups just for people in early memory loss that are done across the metro and uh, in Minnesota for people in early stage, and that's uh, different. That can be 10, 12 weeks long, uh, and the people have to be assessed to come into those support groups. Um, that's, the, that's the same that we have, except we're not a support group again. We're a cognitive and social group for people specifically in the early stage, um, but we are not a support group per se. We're a cognitive and social group for those people in early stage only. Uh, in the early memory loss pilot, we don't serve the people in the middle stage. We're working the brain uh, at the level that early stage people can work at. Uh, so unlike our group respite, the gathering, uh, where they have a one-on-one -on -one volunteer and participant working together, 
in the early memory loss group, we have uh, two professionals and a volunteer working with 12 people. Okay. Uh, we will also have one or two kitchen uh, people helping us as well and a chef. So it's very different than a group respite. The early memory loss group uh, needs uh, the folks to be able to independently care for their day. Um, most of these people are able to uh, have their sequence of logic at home be uh, pretty independent. So they get up, they eat their breakfast, they take their meds, they make their meals. Uh, many of the people do that, not all. Uh, some are still driving. Quite a few of them are still driving, but not all. Uh, but they're all in the early stages. And so with our programming, we're actually uh, doing, um, yes, some similar programming to the gathering, but it's different uh, in that now instead of being 30 minutes in length, uh, some of our things last um, up to uh, um a three-hour uh, stint if we're working with an artist. Uh, of course, there's breaks in there and there's lunch breaks in there, but it's a different level of ability to focus. Um, and yet we still use the premise of memory loss education in how we give instructions. We don't want to load them with 20 instructions. Uh, anyone with memory loss often uh, struggles, not everyone, but many struggle uh, struggle with the um, multiple directions. So uh, we are very cognizant of the struggles for people with memory loss, and we work very hard to keep this very positive, very supportive, um, very uh, self-esteem building. And um, we have found through our first pilot that the satisfaction surveys came across very high. Uh, and they do appreciate having uh, something that's specific for the stage that they're in, which, of course, can be any age, but they're early on in uh, where they are in their deficits. Okay. So, um, Jesse, can you tell us with the um, early memory loss pilot group, what type of time frame, you know, when do they start and when do they end for that and how often do you meet? Sure, that's a 12-week program, and they meet for four hours, uh, starting at 10 and going till 2 with a lunch break in between. And again, they have a, a very definite plan for the day. It's a little bit more like a classroom-type setting than the gathering that's more of a social setting. We want to um, really make sure that people uh, try and work the different areas of their brain um, at their higher level than at the gathering. Uh, and maybe Carolyn would want to speak to the types of activities that uh, she has for the day. Carolyn? Yeah, we have um, quite a few specialists that come in. Uh, we've done uh, Tai Chi on a regular basis, and that's been met very positively. Um, we've had uh, quite a few right brain type of activities, which is a strength in people. Uh, with memory loss. Some of them haven't discovered it yet because we've lived our, our life maybe more in the left brain with our logical jobs. Um, however, we found uh, many, and across the country, across the world, they found many strengths in the more creative work. So we really are exposing our folks to many creative opportunities. We bring in professionals that uh, teach the various classes. So it's been anything from clay work uh, to uh, watercolor painting, acrylic painting, memoir writing. 
um, and um, uh, and contemporary art specialists. So, um, you know, the Tai Chi is a movement. Um, I think dance is an area that we can also look at in the future. But we really are wanting to uh, make as many introductions into the possibilities and keep it as positive as we can. We are not focusing on the loss, although they do get an opportunity in our group uh, to voice um, more of their um, techniques that they found to be helpful for them and how they're doing. Uh, it's not a focus of our group, but there's a little more opportunity for them to receive support from the other members as well as from the two professionals that um, run the group. So, Okay. Great. Well, they both sound like fabulous programs. Um, when you when you talk to this pilot, can you explain to the audience what you mean by that and, and what makes a program a pilot versus not a pilot? Right. A pilot for us has been that we are wanting to get our feet wet, see if this is something that we can prove sustainability, see if this is a, a market that is possible to um, grow in the Twin Cities metro area. Uh, there is one other program that's been up and running in an early memory loss group. That's Augustana Healthcare in Minneapolis. They started about a year ahead of us. And uh, there are others that are getting interested in doing this work as well. Uh, we didn't want to jump in uh, with all the resources uh, until we got through this pilot phase. And with this pilot, we've done 12 weeks in the spring and 12 weeks in the fall. Now, if I could add to that a very important part of this equation um, it may become a, a, a more permanent part of this early memory loss group, but a critical piece that will help us in proving sustainability was partnering, partnering with the University of Minnesota. We have a, a nurse practitioner uh, student, so she's a doctoral student in, as uh, an RN currently. Her name is Carrie Carlson, and Carrie has given 12 weeks in the spring to do an evidence-based project uh, on how the early memory loss was doing and um, to get a view of uh, how we were impacting people. Um, our results haven't been fully published yet. She's still working with her professors on this, um, but she will come back in as a volunteer this fall, uh, and she and I will continue this group this fall. But as a pilot, you're, 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 you're discovering if this is something that you can do uh, we feel we've had great success with our program, and we've had uh, much embracing by the community uh, and actually quite a bit of excitement around um, really lifting up the people at various levels with memory loss. Ling Blumson covers all the ranges uh, with the early memory loss, with uh, the gathering, which is for early and mid-stage, with our uh, memory care units, um, and then also with our community wellness nurse and parish nurses, they do education for healthy brain as well. So we really are covering the whole uh, range of uh, memory. And this is something we have, um, I, it's no surprise, this is uh, a tsunami coming ahead with our memory loss issues. And we are trying our best to prepare. I personally uh, believe very strongly um, with our 30 churches that we work with across the metro and um, on both the early memory loss and the gathering, I do believe that the churches are one of the solutions for this tsunami that's coming ahead. 
Um, and having been a parish nurse myself, uh, and Sue Bulo, the other nurse that works with me, was also trained as a parish nurse, um, it to me seems like a natural uh, way for health agencies uh, and churches to and faith communities to partner together to make an impact. Yep. Now, is there a cost for the early memory loss group? Yes, there is. Uh, during this pilot, we've charged um, $60 a time. Neither the gathering nor the early memory loss pilot are drop-ins. All of them have assessments, and you come in and you make a commitment to be a part of the group. With the early memory loss, you make a 12-week commitment, and that's every week. With the gathering, um, they go twice a month per site, and it's a commitment to be a part of that group as long as they're able to be in the group, of course, many reasons uh, have them leave, whether it's because family moves or whatever. But um, uh, the cost for the early memory loss is different in that it takes more professionals to run the early memory loss group. Now, with that said, I also want to back up and say how much we have uh, a huge support from many professionals as volunteers in our gathering uh, from all different backgrounds. So. Um, uh, it's just that the early memory loss is relying on these professionals that have this background to be a professional running, and, and we're in charge of that whole 12 weeks, not sharing it with others, but in charge of the memory enhancement, in charge of that support time, in charge of helping to um, bring out the positive self-esteem as much as possible. So, yes, there is overlap that the gathering does this as well. Uh, it's pretty hard to put into words. They're similar, but they're very different. And I suppose it comes down to um, a lot of it, the, the clientele that served at the different ones and what meets the best needs of those clients. Okay. Um, now, do, do you guys work with, with grants, or are these all self-sustaining? I can't talk today, I tell you. <laughs> Betsy, would you like to answer that? Uh, we are funded mainly, uh, the gallery is funded mainly by the foundation at Link Bloomston, um, and they take donations from anyone in the, in the metro area, statewide, whatever. Um, we also do have several grants that we have been working with for uh, quite a few years to help sustain the program. Um, and then one of the uh, grantors also uh, has conferences that we go to to learn more about um, best practices and the latest um, in the whole care of memory loss people. So uh, those are different different ways that we do fund as well as the charges to the uh, participants' families. Okay. So, yes, I agree with Betsy. We do have grants from across the uh, state and country, but we also receive worldwide donations. There's connections to Ling Blumston in many ways. Uh, and people uh, donate uh, for many different reasons. Um, so, yes, thank you, Betsy. Okay. Now, you also have um, a dementia-specific um, caregiving coach program. And, um, Betsy, would you like to kind of uh, summarize that in a nutshell? And, and then I'll throw it over to, to Caroline to jump into a little bit well, more. Well, this, too, is a pilot program. And Sue Bulow, our RN um, site liaison, has this pilot. Um, it is basically to give some one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching um, and references to people who are the caregivers for the folks with memory loss. 
She's also done uh, several different family meetings. And again, it's uh, different from the, the um, connection she has with the people from uh, the gathering who are caregivers. She meet, talks with them usually once or twice a month. This is more direct focus to this particular caregiver and their situation, helping them navigate through the myriad of resources that are out there and help them come up with a care plan specific to them and their person um, who needs the care. And perhaps okay. Carolyn has more to add to that. Well, the one one thing that um, both Sue and I are trained as caregiver coaches, and then Sue went on to be trained uh, dementia-specific caregiver coaching. And the unique thing with caregiver coaching that um, often is um, misunderstood, but caregiver coaches actually are wanting to address the caregiver's needs. I think that one thing that gets lost in the caregiving is so often you reach out for your loved one and you're reaching out to find out what they can uh, get for uh, services. And, yes, it does impact the caregiver. But with caregiver coaching and dementia-specific, uh, Sue is working with them to create a plan that's for that caregiver and how they can meet that caregiver's needs. Uh, and that's one thing that's very unique. Um, uh, too often, and like I said earlier, Sue and Betsy and I are all caregivers, and we all personally know this. It's very easy for us. Now, not 100% of caregivers will be like us, but I will tell you many are. A majority are. It's very easy to forget yourself and take care of everyone else first. And when you do this, and the statistics prove it, when you do this, the caregiver doesn't always have the health to survive caregiving and sometimes and many times actually perishes and can perish before their caregiving duties are done, uh, which obviously changes the situation drastically. Uh, that happened personally for us. My dad was my mom's caregiver. And when he had a stroke, they immediately had to move to assisted living and receive care around the clock with uh, their meals, with um, bathing on certain days of the week with her housekeeping. So um, we are wanting to preserve the caregiver in the roles that they best see themselves in, but how can they take care of themselves? And that's caregiver coaching, dementia-specific in a nutshell, I think uh, Sue has done a terrific job during this pilot, and and we'll see what she uh, recommends for Lingblomston in the future. But I I I can tell you that Lingblomston embraces the caregivers, and they do embrace the people with memory loss. And so we are trying to work with what we call the dyad, uh, both ends of the need in this uh, very heavy situation of memory loss. Okay. So when it comes to caregiving coaching, because everybody works a little bit different, is it telephone, is it video conferencing, is it meeting in person? How, how is that structured, Carolyn? Yes. <laughs> all of the above. It's all of both. <laughs> okay. It, it is uh, all up to what the caregiver needs. Uh, some of who Sue is working with are working caregivers. If it needs to be an evening or a weekend meeting, if it needs to be done over email, if it needs to be done over the phone, uh, the sky is the limit um, between those two, um, the professional and that caregiver when they hire this caregiver coach. 
um, and um, the agree that there's a contract signed based on what will be addressed. What we did was a three-month contract, and some extended it for a six-month total. Um, and so it's uh, focused, and it's concentrated, and it's um, uh, it's something that the caregiver needs to intend to want to do in order to have this be successful. Okay. And can you share kind of a fee schedule on something like that? I know a lot of people, they just they have no idea what, uh, what these things run, and um, so it's just kind of nice to hear how that works or if there's a sliding scale or, you know, how it's structured. And... Uh, Betsy, do you want to jump in first? And um, I'm trying to look up because I don't remember exactly the charge of the caregiver. I can tell you that right Sue has, yeah, Sue has worked with families uh, based similar to the gathering. Uh, she has tried very hard to work with any of that have come forward. Um, as with all of our programs, uh, uh, the gathering, uh, the two pilots, the early memory loss and the caregiver coaching, um, we have to charge something because we have uh, professionals working and it, and it can't sustain if it's 100% free. But on the other hand, uh, she's tried very hard to um, reach out to those that have a lesser income and can't pay the full amount. Betsy, did you find that brochure? Yes, to I did. Save and the, co the cost is 130 per month. Uh, and we do ask for uh, three months. I don't know if they sign a contract, but we try and, and keep it to three months with the option of going to six months. As you said, several people have done that. Obviously, they have found it was very worthwhile, and Sue is just um, a wonderful resource to them. Okay. Is there a limit as to how much contact they can have um, in terms of asking for help, or are there set times and meetings? Uh, and, and if this is kind of out of your realm and really Sue's and she wasn't able to make it here because of the funeral, I, I definitely understand too. So I don't want to put you too much on the spot here. But Well, these are very good questions. And what I can tell you is that it's not open-ended. Sue's not available 24-7 for them to contact her. But on the other hand, uh, she does definitely work uh, within a plan and a time that's laid out so the person knows it. Um, early on what they're going to work with. So a very good question, and that's about as close to the right answer I can give you. Uh, Sue would have been able to speak more fully to that. Okay. Yep. Okay. She, um, she has here in the brochure that the program is developed on an individual basis, so I'm sure that it depends on the needs of the caregiver and the availability of Sue as well. Okay. I think mm -hmm. there's times when, depending on the amount of time they've spent together, there might have to uh, be additional fees. For example, um, I, whether or not she built in for some family meetings to be a part of that or not, if they've done several family meetings, she has maybe had to charge extra for um, uh, where it really tipped the balance on the amount of time. Um, but, you know, I think if I could um, add in here, when you have a caregiver coach that's dementia-specific, um, and your, the caregiver is really wanting to work uh, towards some goals that can help them uh, to sustain themselves better. Um, 
when you're working with somebody who's trained with this, um, you can really cut through a lot of things very quickly and get to the roots and get to what needs to be done. So I think it's um, highly recommended uh, that you really do seek out people that have a background in this um, because I think that um, we're learning. We're learning continually. Uh, Sue went through this dementia-specific training just last year here in Minnesota. Um, and so that's different than the caregiver coaching she and I went through, which has been um, growing in the last seven years. So, you know, every year we're looking for new things, and that is one of the things Betsy brought up. That's the whole premise behind the work that we do, and I would say linguistics wide as well. We are looking and seeking for what is the best practices today. We don't want to practice in what we learned 30 years ago or 40 years ago at nursing school. We need to know what is today and not even five years ago. We've got to be up on what have they found to be uh, the current best way of doing things. And with that, it feels very dignified in the care that we give. Okay. That well, leads me that's... to another um, point that I would like to make, and that is that we have close to 250 volunteers for the gathering program across the metro area. They go through an extensive training before they're um, allowed to be a volunteer for our program. Um, Carolyn does just a wonderful job on the training. Um, it is all you know, dementia specific so that these volunteers feel equipped to handle uh, different scenarios that might come up during the day and just the best way to interact with people with memory loss. So that Volunteer training is a continual thing with our program. We have four different trainings a year that we go um, offer to our volunteers. Two are on site at Ling Bloomston, and two we do through um, some mailings that we send them. But it's all current information, best practices, and uh, it just it helps the success of the program because our volunteers feel like they are being trained and that they are given the tools to do their job. Okay. Yeah, so what Betsy was referring to was continuing education, what she talked about at the last. So all of our volunteers go through an initial training, four hours to be a volunteer and four hours to be a lead volunteer, and then quarterly they have continuing education. So they tell us that they feel very well equipped to do the work they're doing, and then we mentor them out on the sites as well. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, you guys are doing some amazing work, that's for sure. I want to make sure that we have time to talk about the book that your group did. So, um, Betsy, I'm going to let you go ahead and kick that off. If you can tell us the title of the book and how that came to be and what it's about. Sure. Sure. The title of the book is called If We Forget, and it was written by some participants in our, one of our West Metro sites. Um, it started just as a little bit of a conversation, and it kind of perked up the ears of one of the volunteers, and she thought, I should write some, some of these thoughts they're sharing down so that we can tell others what they're thinking. And then it just kind of evolved from, from one time, um, and then people started uh, more pointedly talking about what they wanted others to know about what it's like to have different forms of dementia. And it's just a wonderful book that talks about respect and dignity and purpose, uh, future. It uh, has some pictures of uh, different members um, at the site and their volunteers, different activities that they do. But 
uh, somebody said it could be a book for anybody. It really uh, addresses the whole idea of dignity and respect for, for any people, but it does give some specific pointers about uh, people with memory loss and that they don't want their friends to forget them and ignore them. Uh, they want to still be included in daily life and uh, things going on around them, and it's um, a wonderful book, and it can be purchased um, several ways. You, if you would like to go uh, to our Ling Bloomston website, you could go to www.lingbloomston.org, and then click on Supportive Services and uh, select the Gathering, and the Gathering it will tell you three different ways you can order the book, either through Amazon.com, Create Space, or uh, you can send money directly to the church over in the Western Metro area that is taking orders. Wonderful. The cost well, of the book is ten dollars. Okay, yeah, because it's a it's a fabulous book, and I love that it's raising the voice of those with the disease, and um, it's beautifully done. Very very nice. So I highly highly recommend that. Um, if I could add something, Lori, on that. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, interrupting. The one thing that uh, was very much highly uh, on the radar of our people with early stage in this particular site, uh, they took a big investment in this book and they wanted their message out. Uh, they are very proud of the product that they produced. It's an easy read. You could read through it in less than 10 minutes and yet the message is very powerful. Okay, great, and and I definitely agree. And I think it's something that you can look at, and you will look at more than once because um, different things are going to resonate with you at different times throughout this disease. Um, I think both as someone living with early memory loss and also for those who are caring for them because uh, the statements are quite powerful that they're making and uh, in the insights that they're giving. And so... You know, it's it's a book that um, you might want to pass on, but I would, if I were you, I'd want to get it back. <laughs> you know? um, Thank you, Lori. It, it's very, yeah, it's just a very cool book. It's just, uh, it's just beautifully done, and you know, I'd love to see a lot more of them out there like this because I think the voice of those with the disease just needs to be heard and um, really listen to. Um, and digest and uh, digested and really implement what it is they're telling us. Um, and so much of it is is quite simple for us to adjust to, um, but it's a lot of times just us slowing down and reprioritizing what really yeah. is important. And yep. it's a beautiful thing when you can get there, um, and it will enhance your life so much. Um, I know because it has it has mine, and I'm sure it has both of you as well. Um, yeah. This experience is um, negative as people want to talk about it. There is there is a a, a beauty that is beyond words. Um, once you learn how to connect in a different fashion and to appreciate life and friendships, um, you just value everything so differently and. Yeah. You know, and that's the gift wrapped in this disease. And I know people don't like talking about that because everyone's hung up on, oh, woe is me. But, boy, when you can get there, it, it will change your world. Um, and I think I think all the things you are doing, I, 
are really helping people to make that shift and remove. Thank you, Lori. If I could add to what you said. Along those lines, I'd like to just bring up the fact that um, we are being honored to have a speaker come to Lingwoston in September, and I'd like to invite your listenership, um, if they would like to attend. Uh, Recognized um, dementia specialist Tipa Snow will be here on the 25th of September. It's a Tuesday evening from 6.30 till 9 o'clock at Lingwoston in the Newman-Benson Chapel. And anyone interested in attending could go to our website, www.lingbloomston.org backslash snow, and they can actually register online. Or they could call me, and I'd be glad to register them, and that phone number is 414, um, I'm sorry, 651-414-5291. And I can again endorse Miss Tipa. She's like one of my all-time favorites. Um, her and Naomi File are just uh, both brilliant presenters. And uh, Tipa will get you laughing, and she will <laughs> she will shift she will shift your attitude, and you will walk yeah. away with so many aha moments of going, oh my gosh, it really isn't this hard. Yeah. You know, I, I just have to frame it different. She's a very dynamic and engaging presenter. She, there's nobody like her. <laughs> yeah, and she's uh, her her format. I mean, she's really uh, she's really a little actress up there, and she will uh, <laughs> do in, she does improv really well, and she pulls the audience <laughs> in. Um, but her everything she does has such a powerful impact in terms of shifting. Um, she shows you basically what you're doing now and how to how to do it differently, and you'll just sit back and go, "Oh my gosh, yeah." How did I not there's many aha. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. With her, there's many aha moments. You know, Laura, you mentioned something that I just have to uh, jump in and say. Um, I have done every kind of nursing, pretty much, and I've had some very exciting uh, nursing uh, exposure. And when people now hear that I work in memory loss, it's interesting that they take my arm and say, I'm so sorry. I know. <laughs> and what I need to tell them, and now when we survey our volunteers, uh, we, we get 53 to 58% of our surveys back from our congregations and our, and our volunteers. That's how invested they are in this. And what we all say in our own way is, don't be sorry. We are getting such a wealth of gifts from the people that have memory loss. So what if they can't remember what they had for breakfast? Who really cares? But if you go back to where they're strong in their memory and you stay with them while they tell you their stories, uh, it gives you goosebumps as you learn things from them and as they care for you and say, you know, don't work as hard as you are because that's what I did. And you know what? It didn't pay off for me. They're mentoring us as well. Uh, This is rich. It's enjoyable. We love what we do. Our volunteers are asked to work once a month for a year. Many of them give us several times a month for many years. That's the norm. Yep, yeah. Oh, well, it's just uh, it's fantastic, everything you guys are doing. We only have, oh, gosh, about, I don't know, seven, eight minutes left here. So is there anything else, um, Carolyn, that you want to mention? And then I'll ask Jesse as well. I think the only thing that I should also say is on these surveys that we have done, 
Um, I think uh, we're not a perfect program, but on the other hand, I think when you get a high percentage, um, over half of your people that respond, and when we've been getting A's both surveys in 2009 and 2011, I think, um, again, uh, this isn't to pat us on the back, but this is to say that this works. And it's something that we've all taken pride in. Uh, and including our caregivers, our participants, our volunteers, and us, which you add all of that together and we're about 600 strong mm -hmm. a year, per year. Yeah, a lot of people making a lot of changes and um, creating a great, great effort, um, which is absolutely, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful thing. I just... Um, you know, we had met, for, for our listeners, I, I had met with these two women, and the, the energy <laughs> that exudes from both of them in the past and in terms of what they're doing and um, the excitement of being able to expand what they're doing outside of, of Minnesota here is, is pretty phenomenal. So look out, world, they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> Could I add one last thing, Lori? Sure. If there are sure. people that are listening across the world that would be interested in the work that we're doing with Lutheran Services in America, we have a full implementation guide, including monthly webinars where I cheerlead and coach people, uh, and they come to us for a three-day training. Uh, what they would need to do is contact Lutheran Services of America in Baltimore, Maryland, and they will uh, uh, get us connected. Um, but that is a way of people replicating what we do as quickly as possible. Very cool. Now, and if they don't, they don't have that uh, contact information. Um, Betsy, how do they how do they contact you too? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I was going to tell that anyway. <laughs> Anyone who is interested in our programs, either becoming a volunteer or if they have a loved one that they would like to have uh, become part of the group. They can give me a call at that number I mentioned before, which is 651-414-5291, and they'll be asked to leave a message. So I would need some sort of contact information, whether it's a phone number or an email address, and I can get back to them with whatever information that they are requesting. Um, and I can direct any other questions to Sue and Carolyn as well. Great, great. Well. It's just been a pleasure. Our hour has just uh, flown by here, um, but you guys are a wealth of information, and I really encourage people to take you up on, on your offers that you've laid out here um, for, for several different things. So um, don't forget to, to look these women up, and then also with our first guest, um, the best Alzheimer's uh, products. Um, Holly just had some wonderful information there as well. And I would encourage all of you to, um, you know, to check it out a little closer because the more information we can share, the easier it is for us to implement new ideas. You know, none of us has to recreate the wheel. Um, we can work together, and we can work together really well. Um, and it's all just about, you know, sharing the knowledge and sharing the passion and, and giving one another hope. And to me, that's what Alzheimer's, radio and Alzheimer's um, resource website is all about is just passing on the hope and the ideas and the thoughts um, that you're not alone and we can work together. So again, um, Carolyn and Betsy, thank you so much for being with us. 
our next show is, um, we've got, oh gosh, I've got so many shows lined up here, it's hard to keep track. On the 9th, um, after the holiday, I'm going to have Cindy Keith on, and she is the author of Love, Laughter, and Mayhem. And Jane Wolf-Waterman is also going to join us, and she is a caregiver coach. Um, November, uh, November, September 7th, um, we're going to be talking with the producers of Shattered Love. And then on September 10th, I'm really excited. We're going to have Norm McNamara from the U.K., on along with um, along with an author, um, and like I said, this this next month is just kind of jam packed with things. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of programming going on and wonderful information to share. So I hope that you join us. And if you've enjoyed the show today, we can always use your help because we're just our little grassroots effort here. Um, if you can like us and share us and tweet us, we would really appreciate that. And I would also encourage you to um, check out our new website, and that's www and that's plural, speaks, and that's plural, dot com. And there you will find a resource directory where you can actually participate and you can help build what that resource directory looks like. So if you have an article or a blog or a newsletter, that is specific to dementia, um, or you've run across a video, um, please go ahead and go to the site, and you can actually upload that free of charge. You just go up to the gold button at the top that says Partnering Options, and you can go ahead and enter your information. There's also other ways to, um, to advertise on the site if you're a business and want to be specifically in the directory, and I'd be more than glad to see that information. But again, the more we can share together, the more we can learn, and the easier all of our lives are going to be. So in the meantime, have a blessed day, and um, we'll see you after the holidays, or we'll talk to you after the holidays. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Way Showers who will help your journey go a lot easier.